But we have this idea of, I can't feel successful until those things are met, which spoiler alert, you could hit all those things and there's going to be another definition of success long before you actually hit that one. You will never actually feel success if you are constantly chasing success and having that be your definition for it. Same thing goes for achievement. Same thing goes for happiness. A lot of people say the only way I can be happy is if everyone else likes me. Is that possible 100% of the time? No, because it's not in your control. And if your happiness, success, achievement, fulfillment in any way is outside of your control, we have a problem. Welcome to the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. I am your host, Justine Carino, licensed mental health counselor. I am here to lean into conversations about relationships, resilience, and recovery from life's challenges in order to support you on your journey to finding clarity in what you want for your future. We will talk about the things that no one else really wants to talk about in order to help you heal from past wounds and create a life that truly fulfills you. Please note, this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Hello and welcome everyone. We are back with another episode from the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. This episode is for all my perfectionists out there and it is a juicy one. I am sitting with Nicole Baker, life and mindset coach who helps perfectionists set goals and follow through with them. Nicole, thank you to the podcast. Thank you so much. This is such a fun interview. And I I said this on um, when you and I were chatting before this, but your name for your podcast is so stellar. It is so good. So anyone who's listening, you're listening to a very good named podcast. (laughs) Thank you. And it's funny you bring that up because it's inspired like obviously from the therapy couch. And then during the pandemic, so much shifted to virtual therapy. And I was joking with a client last week. I was like, I should change it to thoughts from the screen. (laughs) She's like, no, do not do that. That's a terrible idea. But I'm so used to virtual therapy. It's like such a treat when my clients come in person and get to sit down and talk, which is, it's really nice to go back to in person when we can. Um, But thank you, Nicole. Thank you for joining me today. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself and your career? Of course. So like you said, I am a life and mindset. I also added the title of business coach just recently. I work specifically with perfectionists on setting goals because yes, that's extremely important, but actually following through on them because that's the big kicker a lot of times with perfectionism. We have these big goals and normally they're like really juicy, meaty goals that are like way, way, way beautiful, crazy. I call them big, hairy, scary, audacious goals, but overwhelm, imposter syndrome, feeling like you're behind and you have to do it all right now. And then you're beating yourself up for not being a millionaire in 48 hours. All of that starts to kick in and we get discouraged and we stop and we give up or we say, I'm not feeling motivated anymore. I'll just do it tomorrow. So that's why I have that second bit in there because Actually, following through on them is the biggest part of this, right? We don't go after goals to be um, checking something off a list to say, hooray, I'm a millionaire. Check. We don't do that. We, We go after goals to become a type of person. And that's what I really help perfectionists tap into and explore on their goal setting journey. I love that. And I'm sure we're going to go into this as we talk. But one thing I see a lot with a lot of my clients that are struggling with anxiety 
is that the anxiety can be very debilitating. Like they get caught in that fight, flight, or freeze, and they're literally like frozen. They're like, I don't know how to proceed and what way to proceed. And it goes hand in hand with that procrastination, with that lack of follow through, with that perfectionism. Unless I do it perfectly, then it's not worth doing. So this totally ties in to what a lot of my people can relate to. So thank you for pointing that out. And I'm sure we're going to get into some of that today. Um, you're so welcome. Cause it, it's so, it's so across the board, how it shows up to us in daily life. Like a lot of times, um, we'll get into this later, but I have this three different types of perfectionism. There's three different types. You can be all three. You can be two out of the three. You can be just one, or you could be a just hybrid mix going through the stages of all of them. But one of them is the procrastinator. And a lot of times people will get that they're the procrastinator on my quiz. And they're like, oh, bummer. Like, I don't want to be the procrastinator. The procrastinator is lazy. And I'm like, uh-uh. Procrastinators are not lazy. They're just doing everything else except for the things that are actually going to move them forward. And when they hear it like that, they're like, oh, you're right. Like, yeah, that's super accurate. Like, they normally have a to-do list that's like four or five years long but it's all of the things that they're comfortable doing. And yet the one or two things that are actually going to move them forward towards their goal, towards their dream, towards whatever, are the things that are wildly out of their comfort zone and they consider really scary and they don't go after. So there's a huge thing there for procrastinators is that you're not lazy. You're just doing the things that you're comfortable doing. And that's part of human nature. Wow. A light bulb just went off in my brain. (laughs) You're blowing my mind. I love that reframe. First of all, you're talking to me. Hello. Um, But also, I feel like there's so many – that's so relatable because I can't tell you how many clients say like I'm real – that my productivity with other things is getting in the way of what I actually should be doing. But I love how you put that. You're doing all the things that you know you can do well, right? You can clean your house. You could exercise. You can nap. You can do all those things well. You're comfortable at it. You can make plans. You can – hit that to-do list, but you're checking off the things you're comfortable with. It's the thing that scares us is what we're procrastinating on. Mind-blowing. Yep. 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 It's, it's so real. And like, I think about it this way. It's like, if I have the idea of, this is a common one I'm hearing a lot in November of 2021, but I want to start a business. And if your goal is, I want to start a business, but sales terrifies the crap out of you marketing is just like a big abyss of cloud and dust and you have no idea what to do there, you're not going to touch those two things. But let's say you've maybe built a website before or um, you've created content on Instagram before. Of course, you're going to gravitate towards those two things, but that's not the full picture. And a lot of people come to me being like, I don't understand. I've been posting on Instagram for three months now and I don't have any clients and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, that's only a part of the puzzle. And to be honest, it's a very small part and people think it's a much bigger part than it actually is. And I I like to remind people that like the 80-20 rule, um, and that applies to business, that applies to life, that applies to literally anything. But if you are spending 80% of your time doing things that make you 20 or less percent of your revenue, we're talking business 80-20 rule right now. If I'm doing 80%, 80% of my time is spent doing 20% or less of my revenue, I'm not going to be making a whole lot of money because I won't have time for it. We all have the same 24 hours in the day. 
But if I do 80% of my time is towards the things that bring me 80% of my revenue, I'm going to have a pretty freaking profitable business, right? So that's a whole other side tangent. But people just, I, I recommend people rather than calling yourself lazy, just reframe it with, I'm doing the things that I find comfortable right now. Maybe I can do something out of my comfort zone. What would that look like? And just letting your mind go from there. I think that's so helpful. I'm going to borrow that and share it with so many clients because it's really such a nice reframe. And I hear the laziness a lot. And it usually comes in reference to a lot of my clients that also struggle with ADHD. I'm like, you're not lazy. Like your brain is just designed differently that you have to work that much harder to focus your attention. And then if you combine the ADHD with the anxiety, with the perfectionism, it's really a struggle. So I love that reframe. So let me take us back a step. How did you get into this doing this work? What brought you to this? I have a very strange story on my uh, on my journey into personal development. So, I grew up in a family with two parents who were heavily working in the personal development field. They were working for some of the top people in the industry. My dad was doing ropes courses and life coaching. He was trained by some of the originators of neurolinguistic programming. My mom was doing logistics for seminars from some of like the top dogs. And I remember going to these seminars at like age of one and just looking around and seeing these people just like having these light bulb moments of like transforming their lives. And I fell in love with it. And I learned a lot of the personal development tools, but here's the kicker. I didn't implement them or I didn't learn how to implement them. I learned what they are. I learned how they impact us. However, when I was in um, like elementary, middle school, I was severely bullied. I don't know how else to phrase it. And it created this belief in my brain that basically no matter what I do, no matter how thin I am, no matter how loud or no matter how joke heavy or no matter how perfect I am, I will never be enough. And if I'm not enough for everyone to like me, let alone let me feel like I'm part of the pack, then I'm just like a victimhood. And it was just a really dark time. And it bled into my life as a creative artist. So I ended up going to school for musical theater. I loved the field. It was so fun. And I was very fortunate to get into one of the top programs in the world. I'm a heavy overachiever. It was either top program or none at all, but very black and white thinker. But I ended up getting into the program. However, my confidence was so shattered. It was so shocky that whenever I would go on stage, I'd freeze. It's like you were talking earlier, that fight, flight, freeze. I would freeze a lot. (laughs) Like I would very rarely fight. And I was sat down one day by my voice teacher, who's kind of like your guide through the program. And he is an amazing man. I'm where I am today because of him. But he sat me down and he said, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but because of your levels, because of your confidence and how you show up, you either have to perform a miracle or you're going to have to leave the program. Wow. I was like, fuck, (laughs) that's scary. And of course I like fall, I fell apart because I was like, oh my God, this is my dream program. This is where like Rockettes and like Kristen Chenoweth went to school. Like, what am I going to do? And so I called my dad, who, like I mentioned earlier, is a life coach. And I said, look, I've been learning about these tools for years. I need to implement them or else I lose out on my dream. And the amazing man that he is, he coached me. 
and he did not go easy on me. He was definitely treating me like his like high executive clients. And it was great. It was amazing. I learned how to implement those tools I've been learning since such a young age. And my life completely changed. I became a different person. Spoiler alert, I graduated from the program. I graduated cum laude, and now I'm actually asked back to give talks and webinars and speeches and seminars to those students about perfectionism, which is such a funny um, full circle. But that journey with working with him made me realize how important this stuff is, how important the stuff between your ears can, can direct you. It can totally change your life. And so I then started being a life coach. I like got into the field. I started learning, immersing myself, all that stuff. And I started working as a life coach for performers. And I realized that, you know what? Like I love performers, but it's the perfectionism mindset within the performers that I love. I love to watch those moments of, holy crap, I'm enough just as I am. I don't have to be this perfect version of myself in order to be worthy. I can be worthy just as I am right now. That's when I started working with perfectionists, and here we are almost two years later. I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And like, what a moment for your voice teacher to like sit you down and have that conversation, which needed to happen and like such courage from your teacher to be able to deliver that to you and really get you thinking of like, okay, I have a choice to make here. Like, am I in or am I out? And you went for it and you graduated and congrats to you and look how far you've come. But that was a pivotal moment in your life. Extraordinarily. And you know how like how nothing in life has any meaning except for the meaning we attach to it. And so many people in my school who I talked to during that time were like, oh my God, you poor thing. Like you must feel so discouraged. You must feel so hard on yourself. But I took a completely different meaning from it. Sure. It was not a fun 24 hours after I received that message. I was not like hunky dory off to the races. I was a lot of tears in. However, there was like this moment where it snapped and it's like, this is in my control. I am the one who controls my life. And without that learning lesson, oh my God, I would not be where I am today. Yeah. And you probably do so much great work with some of your clients having your own personal experience with perfectionism. Um, Do you share the story with them? Typically not like upfront unless they ask, but like, for instance, one of my clients, she's starting a podcast and she's so sweet and I love her. And she was like, I want to have you on for one of the first episodes. And I shared the story. And afterwards she's like, I didn't know any of that. Like, oh my God. Like my clients know I've struggled with perfectionism because I'm very open about it, but my story, you kind of have to search for. I talk about it on podcasts, talk about it sometimes on Instagram, but um, it's, it's, but it's such a huge part of who I am. So, you know, I have you here. I thought you would be awesome to talk to because I specialize in treating anxiety disorders. And a lot of my clients relate to having these perfectionistic thought patterns and these perfectionist behaviors they develop that they think will help their anxiety, but it actually feeds their anxiety. So from my perspective, perfectionism can sometimes be a way of trying to manage that anxiety. If you think, if I do everything correctly all of the time, I'll be able to have some kind of predictable outcome. And if you have a predictable outcome, then you don't have to tolerate the discomfort of the unknown, kind of like what you were saying before with our comfort levels. And the unknown scares the hell out of people. Like with anxiety – Perfectionism becomes a best friend. 
Um, If I do it perfectly, then I'll guarantee this outcome. But as we know, nothing in life is guaranteed. We can't predict the outcomes. Um, So little is actually in our control. What do you think of that? Retweet. I mean, that is just all so well said. Um, But no, I agree completely. Like I, I like to use this example of if we show up perfectly, this is the story that's happening in our brain. If we show up perfectly, we will be loved. We will be appreciated. We will be one with the pack. We will be one with society. And that goes back, that way of thinking goes back to our times many, many eons ago. Like I'm talking like we were in the caves eating meat with the gatherers, you know, like very long time ago. And when we had that moment of I need to be a part of the pack, that meant survival. But if we were ostracized from the pack, if for whatever reason we did something wrong or we insulted someone or whatever, I don't, I wasn't there consciously. So I don't really know what the the social parameters were, but for whatever reason, if we were cast aside from the troop, we would die. It was a death sentence. And while we have a society has just, you know, totally evolved, our brains haven't that much. And so this perfectionism is this idea of, if I am perfect, then my boss will appreciate me. Or if I am perfect, then I'll finally get the love from my parents that I wanted. Or if I am perfect, then social media, I'll get all the likes on social media and I'll be important. And it all comes to this idea of I will be liked or I will be a part of the pack. And it makes sense that it's a survival technique. However, what we have been conditioned to believe is that no matter what we do, this is perfectionism, a perfectionist mindset, no matter what we do, if we show up as who we are, the imperfect, the raw us, we will be not enough or we will be unworthy of being a part of the pack. So in our brain, that means you're going to die. You're not going to live. And while we consciously don't think about it throughout our day, like we're not going around being like, if Brittany doesn't like me, oh my God, I'm just going to be so killed by a, a saber tooth tiger in a few hours. Like we don't, we're not thinking like that anymore, but our brain does ignite that same survival technique because it does equate to death in our mind. So I think that what you're saying is so spot on. And I think perfectionism and anxiety go hand in hand because it is a lot of the time as a issue of survival at the core of what's behind it. Again, you painted a really accurate picture of this pack mentality. You know, my practice is located in an area in Westchester County, New York, where it's affluent, high income families, but really hardworking, badass parents that run businesses, they're CEOs of companies, they're phenomenal human beings, and their children are amazing too, but it's really competitive academically, and it's very cutthroat. And if you get anything below an A+, there's something wrong with you, right? So it this whole environment feeds the anxiety and the perfectionism, highly competitive. A lot of graduates from the high schools go into Ivy League schools, um, and a lot of these students feel like they're only worthy if they get that top school acceptance. So a lot of the anxiety is related to this pack mentality. Like everybody else is going to these top achieving schools. I'm only worthy if I do too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like to talk a lot about like, well, what happens after you graduate that school? Like this is just a stepping stone. Like this isn't the end all be all. Like 
So there's a lot of status um, in these communities about the type of school you get into. But to get into these schools, you must be perfect. And the hardest part is some of these kids are literally perfect, right? A pluses, captains of teams, they've started these clubs and they don't get in. So then what does that say about you? You were perfect and you still didn't get into those top schools. And then we try to piece that apart. Well, you did get into college. And what's the meaning of a top school? What's the meaning of success? It's this whole um, this whole thing that can be broken apart to like what we place meaning on. But I like how you bring up the pack. Like we have to do what the pack does and our, our environment can really – feed back to us and reflect back to us what perfection should look like. I love, love L-O-V-E capitalized, italicized, underlined, bold, (laughs) that you talk about this idea of what does success mean to you? And I talk about this a lot with my clients because a lot of them have values of achievement, success. And if you're chasing those values But the definition of, let's say, someone is chasing the idea of success, their only way to feel success, the only way that they can feel success is they have a multi-million dollar company, they have uh, constantly booked out clients, they are a top speaker in the world, they um, are also incredibly uh, well off, they have a huge family that they love and they are able to spend so much time with. And that's not even all of theirs, but I'm just going to stop for time's sake. But if that is their definition of success, it's impossible to meet it. But we have this idea of, I can't feel successful until those things are met, which spoiler alert, you could hit all those things and there's going to be another definition of success long before you actually hit that one. Yes. You will never actually feel success if you are constantly chasing success and having that be your definition for it. Same thing goes for achievement. Same thing goes for happiness. A lot of people say the only way I can be happy is if everyone else likes me. Is that possible 100% of the time? No, because it's not in your control. And if your happiness, success, achievement, fulfillment in any way is outside of your control, we have a problem. Not that you are the problem, but your mindset has been shaped to believe that your happiness is based off of other people's actions towards you. And perception of you. And perception, exactly. Like I like, have you ever received one of those like K texts or just thumbs up? I know a lot of people who receive those and they're like, oh my God, they hate me. Oh my God, I'm the worst person ever. I need to apologize. I need to do something for them, like immediately. And we just suddenly think it means our worth goes plummeting into the earth. And it's like it's a fucking emoji or it's a, it's a one letter. And we let our entire identity crumble because of that one text. And that's what I'm here to like flip the table over about. (laughs) Yes. And like, I can call myself out like perfectionism in the making as we speak. When I introduced you earlier, I think I said something like, thank you to the podcast instead of like, welcome to the podcast. I'm like, oh shit, I have to like pause and restart, but like we're going strong. I'm not going to interrupt us. And in my head, I'm like, oh man, like someone's going to pick up on that while they're listening. Like, you know, the perfectionism is everywhere and like we have choices about it. And in my head, I'm like, I'm going to let that one go. Like, I'm just going to leave that in the beginning of this introduction because I feel strongly about moving on and tolerating imperfection. I'm going to practice what I preach. I love that you brought that up. And I love that you talk about that. And there's this quote 
uh, I can't remember who says it, but there's this quote that says, turn your expectations into appreciations and your whole life will change. And the way I like to look at it is like your expectations, are you sinking your talons into a project or an outcome or an expectation or a value? Success totally counts as this. But let's say, for example, you're going uh, about your day and your boss comes up to you and says, hey, I have a project that I need you to do. Here's the parameters for it. Here you go. Have it on my desk by Monday. And if you sink your talons into that project, try to control every single little aspect of it you're going to drive yourself insane. If you put this project on an insanely high pedestal, you're going to drive yourself insane. You're not going to have a fun time doing this project. Versus if you let it, and this sounds so heady, and we'll talk into how to do this in a second, but if you let it flow, if you open it up, I literally call it release the talons. If you take your talons out and tap into an element of appreciation, oh my gosh, my boss picked me for this project. That's awesome. I feel so grateful. Oh my goodness. This project is going to stretch me to new um, heights or new elements in my career. Or if it's a project that you're like, oh my God, I can't believe he did sign to me. Be like, you know what? At least it's done by Monday. So then I get to be celebrating and having it off my plate. There is always something you can find to be grateful for, but it, it completely changes your energy around approaching any kind of tasks. And what I've realized with perfectionists especially is they have lived their lives with their talents synced in. And it causes them so much stress and anxiety that they don't even realize it's there anymore. It's just their base level zero. And that's what I work on with people is like releasing that control. You can still achieve your goals without being on the edge of a cliff the whole time. And what people realize is they're like, oh my God, it's allowed to be fun. Oh my God, it's allowed to feel easy. Oh my God, I'm allowed to have like enjoy the journey. I'm allowed to celebrate myself long before I actually accomplish the dang thing. The answer is yes, you are. And it really is the difference between fulfillment and a life of constant stress. It's such a mindset shift. And like mm-hmm. all those examples were awesome and so closely related to the cognitive behavioral therapy that I do, just kind of reframing these automatic thought patterns that are ingrained in us from these core beliefs we've been carrying around forever, from these life experiences that we're making assumptions about and drawing conclusions to that are not helping us. So those are awesome examples. So I'm dying to know. Let's jump in. What are the three types of perfectionism that you teach your clients? Yes. So I dev- I'll tell you quickly the Reader's Digest version of how I developed this framework. I was in a very fortunate place in my business where I was starting to get a lot of clients and a lot of inquiries and a lot of discovery calls. And I started realizing patterns of behavior. And I think that really good coaches, therapists, mentors, your job is to realize patterns of behavior and know how to combat them, right? And I realized that they were kind of categorized into three different elements. And I, after I flushed these out, I developed a quiz for it and people started taking it and they're like, holy shit, have you been reading my diary? Oh my God, how do you know me so well? And it's like, no, I don't know you so well. I know your pattern of behavior. So the three different types of perfectionists are the overachiever is number one. They are the person who says, okay, I want to be a millionaire. They put it on this insanely high pedestal of, I have to be a millionaire by Friday. They then slam 50,000 things into their week. And shock of shocks, they get super burned out by Thursday. They beat themselves up for not feeling, quote, motivated 
And then they say, you know what? I'm just a failure. I'm not deserving of this. I clearly can't make this work when I'm scrolling through Instagram, seeing uh, six figure after millionaire after six figure after millionaire. And it just, it totally destroys their self-worth. So overachievers are people who will look at a project and say, let me slam my foot on the gas. And they typically lead themselves to burnout. Procrastinators, like I said earlier, are people who have really big, high goals, but typically they're not super clear. So for instance, I have a a procrastinator client who says, I want to be healthy. And for so long, she said, I want to be healthy. I want to be healthy. But her brain didn't know what that meant. So of course, she clung to what was easy, which was junk food, Netflix, and the couch. And that was not her version of healthy. So I'll get into how to combat these patterns of behavior, but you can kind of smell what I'm stepping in with that one. The last one though is people pleaser. And the people pleaser perfectionist is the one who receives the K text and freaks out and thinks their entire self-worth is a whole pile of poop on the ground, basically. People pleasers are the people who will be going about their day. Someone asks them to do something and they say, yeah, sure, of course, absolutely, immediately. And then they look at their to-do list and they're like, oh my God, there's nothing even on here for me. They're the people who will put themselves, their self-care always last. They are typically the people who have these huge goals that they want to go after, but typically those goals are pushed so back because they're doing everything for everyone else. So those are the three different types of perfectionism. From a therapist standpoint, I'd love to hear your thoughts on them though. So I think that's such an awesome framework. I think a lot of people can relate to each and every one of those. Now, I'm also curious, can people be a combo type? Or play with all the above at different times. Like that's in my head. I'm like, is it one or the other? Or like, can we be a little bit of both? What do you think? Great question. I believe that throughout our seasons of life, we are different types of perfectionists. Now, seasons of life can be maybe one year, you're really leaning into the overachiever. The next year, you're really leaning into the people pleaser. That can also mean at 8 a.m. generally, I'm an overachiever. Typically around 4 p.m., I become a procrastinator. It can really depend on your type of day, but typically I'll see people fluctuate between two within a season of life, we'll say. Like for instance, a year, people will normally fluctuate back and forth between two of them. Um, Is that a standard? Absolutely not. That's just what I've typically seen, but also I'm still testing this theory every single day, so you never know. But to answer your question, yes, but I don't think we can be the same one at the same time It just is when we're in a different mindset, which can be fluctuating five minutes from each other. Right. No, this is so fascinating and I think so relatable to a lot of people listening and to a lot of my clients. And I'm guessing underneath all of these three types are the same feelings of anxiety, um, stress, overwhelm, um, poor boundaries with people. Like there's probably a lot of themes underneath all these three types that feed them and that weave them kind of all together. What do you think? I believe that at the core of each of these different types, there's the belief of I'm not enough. Now it's going to show up differently for each one. So for instance, for the uh, overachiever, it's I'm behind or I'm running out of time or um, everything's an emergency and i there's the clock of productivity following me around. If I'm resting, then I'm lazy. Those are typically the beliefs I see around the overachiever. Perfection, or excuse me, procrastinator is typically 
I'm not as smart enough. I don't have enough followers. I am an imposter. I Who's going to pay me? It tends to be these feelings of total inadequacy, which causes that overwhelm, which typically makes them choose the easier thing, the thing that's in their comfort zone. Then the people pleaser, it's this idea of everyone else is on a pedestal and I'm the lower pedestal. I trust their voices more than my own. I go into a situation and someone states an opinion. I have to change my entire personality to match their opinion so that they will like me. So it totally differentiates. But can you have two of the same limiting beliefs? Absolutely. But each of them kind of identifies themselves with a different type of the perfectionist. That makes sense. And I feel like all three types must be so exhausted and burnt out and tired yes. from <laughs> up with all of these patterns. It's so tiring. I am so excited to announce that I am creating an online course that's going to help you learn simple ways to manage your anxiety on a daily basis. I absolutely love providing one-to-one psychotherapy, but unfortunately, I can't reach everybody. So I created a tool that's going to give you more access to anxiety support. If you want to be one of the first to know when this course launches, head to my show notes and sign up for my email list or download my freebie on perfectionism or how to create a personal wellness routine and you will be added to the wait list. I hope to see you there. for people listening... With the examples you gave, they're probably like, oh, I'm the procrastinator. Oh, I'm the people pleaser. Oh, I'm the overachiever. Or I'm a combo. Um, are there any tools or ways people can start to identify which one they are right now? Yes. If you go to lifecoachbaker.com forward slash quiz, I have the quiz. It's totally free. It takes like two minutes or less. Um, and you will learn not only which type of perfectionist you are, but you'll also learn the pattern. I'm going to call it a pattern interrupt. The way to interrupt your perfectionist pattern. I'll do a quick little reader, reader's digest for each version though. Overachiever, it's slow down. You're going way too damn fast. You are thinking that everything's an emergency and you have to do it right away. So slowing down, taking things one at a time, rather than going after 50 goals, what would it look like to go after one and really commit to it and fully follow it through? Number two, for the procrastinator, make things clear. Clarify, clarify, clarify. I want to get healthy, unfortunately, is not clear enough. Your brain is going to see that and say, that's kind of fuzzy. It's going to see Netflix, the couch, and junk food. Say, that's really clear. I'm used to that one. I'm going to choose that one. Always. So instead of, I want to get healthy, what does your version of healthy mean? Is it, I want to eat healthy five days a week. I want to eat whole foods um, with every meal. I want to go to the gym and feel really good and confident in my body for 30 days. It can be totally different for each one, but I clarify, clarify, clarify. And the more numbers you put behind it, like uh, we talk about smart goals in the course I have, smart goals is this element of specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, and time-defined. And if your goal does not match those things, it's, it's not clear enough and your brain will choose the easier thing. So I highly recommend, A, checking out the course Goal Smasher. I do have the first module available for free. If people want that, I can give you the link, Justine, but... Um, clarify, clarify, clarify. That will make the world of a difference. People pleasers, this one's a lot more abstract, but it's totally personal to every single person. And that is, you got to start doing the inner work because if you don't trust your own voice, you will never be able to 
meet up the pedestal, to meet at those people or even further and beyond and build up your confidence if you're always putting everyone else on this higher shelf than you. So starting to do the inner work, maybe having a personal development book that you're reading, maybe going to therapy. I know a good therapist you're listening to her podcast. (laughs) You know, start asking for help and you will actually see such a huge difference. I worked with a lot of people pleasers and every single one of them say, I did not know how badly I needed to do this inner work. Wow. So it's possible to recover from these traits that people are struggling with. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And it's moldable and people can work through it. And from your experience, is there a timeline of recovery or is it something lifelong people are always going to like kind of tweak and work on as seasons change in their life? What's it look like? Oh, good. That's a really good question. There's different ebbs and flows, but to make a long story short, yes, it is lifelong. You are never done learning. I like to always say new level, new devil. I am still leveling up. I've been in this field since I was literally in the womb and I still am like raising up to new levels and being like, that's a limiting belief I didn't know I had, you know, and I have to face it. But the timeline, I'd say the preliminary timeline, that beginning part where it's like really immersing yourself in it is very variable depending on, I hate to phrase it this way, but how seriously you're taking this. If you're just reading books and not implementing the exercises or the aha moments you have while reading it, it's going to take a really freaking long time. But if you implement these things and actually start trying them out in your life, maybe it's Um, doing a gratitude practice every day. Maybe it's going to therapy or hiring a life coach. Maybe it's having your affirmations or your incantations on your bathroom mirror. It can be so many different things, but when you actually implement it, it goes faster than you can ever imagine because your brain is made to remake itself. There's something called neuroplasticity, which basically means your brain is constantly remolding and remolding and remolding So the more and more you immerse yourself in this environment and put up these tools or um, implement these tools, that neuroplasticity is going to do the work for you. Yes. And I see like this is totally where we align with the work that you do and the work that I do. A lot of my work um, is evidence-based cognitive behavioral therapy. And part of that with an anxiety disorder um, is exposure therapy, exposing the person to their feared situation So then they behaviorally do it and form new cognitions around being able to do it, right? So if someone has social anxiety, um, they might really avoid paying for gas inside the gas station because they're afraid of messing up or making a mistake or doing something wrong. So I might say, okay, this weekend before I see you, you're going to pay for your gas inside at the gas station and we're going to see how badly it goes. And you kind of relive this experiment and I call mini experiments and we have a whole fear hierarchy. But the point is, you know, I'm thinking of someone that's a perfectionist or a people pleaser, a procrastinator, like let's talk about what you're afraid of Let's expose you to it and then let's form new cognitions around this experience that are going to help your brain understand that you are safe doing these things. It is safe to be less than perfect all the time. It is safe to not be a people pleaser and say no. It's safe to set small goals for yourself. So I feel like we really align with our thinking on this. I couldn't agree more. Everything you're saying, I'm like, oh, it's so good. Yes. (laughs) I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. 
Because you'll never know or learn until you try and you put yourself in that position. And anxiety, again, can be debilitating. And if it's someone that has a really extreme anxiety disorder and symptoms are all over the place, we might need medication first to give them that baseline of like, okay, the chemicals are everywhere. Let's get you to a good baseline. Then start these exposures and new behaviors and put this to the test. But totally, totally agree. Like our brain is always changing. We can rewire it and we need to test this out. We need to put it in action before you actually see lasting change. Yes, 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 yes. And like, I'm curious to know your thoughts on this. I see so often on Instagram, this idea, like self-care has been a huge buzzword of 2020 and 2021. And, but I see a lot of self-care as like, have a glass of wine, watch the Netflix, watch the show, like binge watch, you know, rest, like all this stuff. And like, I do believe that there's a time for self filling up. I like to call it like you're filling up your battery basically, but I'm a big believer that self care does involve setting your future self up for success. So I think there's a difference between self preservation. I don't know if that's the right word, but I'm going to use it here. Self preservation, which is great. We all need it. We all need to fill up our battery. But there's also the self-care idea that if you're doing like hard things or you're doing things that are outside your comfort zone, that it's going to immediately drain you. And it's going to immediately like, you're going to need to rest for five days to like refill your battery. And I'm just like, if you're doing the things that are in alignment with who you want to be, if you're getting out of your comfort zone in that way, typically, not to say always, but typically it doesn't drain you. It actually really fills you up. You're like, oh my God. Now, does that mean you do it 24-7 and you never sleep and never rest? No, overachievers. That's not what we do. We still (laughs) rest, but it's that balance of it. And I think there's a lot of that like all or nothing with it. But um, yeah, I just think that there's so much around that. I totally agree. And I can probably go on such a tangent about this whole self-care movement. (laughs) I'm going to be really unpopular to people right now, but there's a lot of talk about I'm a mom and there's a lot about like moms engaging in self-care and you need to put yourself first. And I'm all about that, right? Like if you're a mom and you're taking care of little people, you do need a break. You do need to have your needs met, but you can't do that all the time. And I'm going to say it because then you'll be a bad mom because I'm a therapist and I work with family therapy and I work with those young adults whose mothers put themselves first 24-7 and I see the damage that can do, right? So I think there's a fault, and that's unrealistic for a mother. Some moms might be able to figure out a way to do it, but I don't think it's, there's a pressure on a mom now to like, okay, I got to keep up with my self-care. So now I have to make time for the gym every day, and I have to make time for dinner with my girlfriends, and I have to make time for my career, and I have to make time to have movie night with my kids and have popcorn and the best birthday party block. So like, there's all this pressure for a mom to engage in self-care when actually sometimes their self-care is putting their kid first, is staying home all weekend cozy with your four-year-old. Like, so there's so many contradicting messages, I think, that people are getting about what self-care is, but I don't think it's a good idea for, for this theme of put your, moms, put yourself first all of the time. No, put yourself first sometimes. Put yourself first. There's going to be times that you really need to put yourself first to re- recharge, refuel. And there's going to be times that, guess what? You're a mom. You have to put yourself last. And you have to be okay with that. And that's part of this journey of motherhood. So I get really heated up about this because I see the damage in families when parents are 
taking that to the next level. Does that make sense? One hundred. I'm literally over here like giddy, like I'm just loving everything you're saying. But I I completely agree, and I think that there's this element also of we're getting so many messages, right? Like there's the hustle culture message, then there's the self-care, then there's this idea that you have to always put yourself first, and there's this idea that you have to be part of community and make sure you're contri- like contributing and stuff like that. And I think it creates this like, first of all, we're an all or nothing culture, we've become one. And so I think there's this idea that if you're not doing all of those things all the time, it goes back into perfectionism, then you're not doing it right, or you're not enough, or like, you're always looking at the thing you're lacking. And I think that there's this idea that if we're constantly in self-care, well, then we're not showing up for our kid, which makes us a bad mom. Oh, but if we're constantly showing up for our kid, we're not doing self-care, which then means that I'm a bad person and I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's just like this like all or nothing syndrome where it's like, where did the idea of balance go? Where did it go? And I'm, I am such a hypocrite for saying this because I'm still figuring out what my version of balance looks like. But that's the key. No one's balance is the same. Everyone's balance is going to look different. And if we keep demanding this, like you have to always self-care, but you also have to always be going towards your goals, but you also have to always show up for your family. You also have to always be with your friends and make sure you're taking time off and having fun. Like it's exhausting. No wonder we're all so fucking burnt out. Like it's ridiculous, which by the way, you also have to be the best in your field, whatever the field is by the age of 27. Like it's so dumb. And it just, it drives me so insane. I get so worked up. And it's funny, like personally, I, I think I, I texted one of my best friends a few weeks ago and she made me feel so much better. I was like, I just feel like I don't have time any th- for anything in my life right now other than motherhood because I have two little kids and my career. Um, and I don't have time to like be that good friend that has time to socialize and be thoughtful and like do f- good friendly stuff. Like that's not my season right now. Um, and she was like, because we're all being forced to do so much. Like when our moms had us as little kids, were they going to dinner with their friends every Saturday night? Were they doing these special weekend retreats with their girlfriends? Were they getting massages? No. <laughs> so like I'm sure there's things from that era that wasn't good. They Those moms probably could have engaged in a lot more self-care for themselves 100%. But she made me feel better. Like there's so much pressure on us to do everything all of the time, like it's okay when you only have room for two priorities for a season in your life. And I was like, this is relieving. She is so right. Yes, 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 yes. And I think that like, well, I actually, I want to ask you, why do you think that is for us? Like, why do you think there's such this, like this monumental pressure that if we're not going out with our girlfriends every Saturday night, then we're not doing enough or, you know, like, why do you think that that stigma has become so prevalent? I cannot help, and this is so cheesy. I wish I had a different answer, but I don't. I can't help but blame social media. I was going to say the same thing. Every time we log in, we're seeing someone's fun activity or highlight reel, right? They're not necessarily posting when they're like in their jammies all weekend. So maybe they are, (laughs) but I can't help but think our generation grew up with this as a part of our lives versus generations before us who may not feel as much pressure and might be so content with not having this constant to-do list of excitement. I can't help but blame that. To-do list of excitement might be one of the best phrases I have ever (laughs) heard in my life because 
that is so real. It's like this to-do list of excitement or expectations that we put on. I like to put the, put it this way, and this is more with, with business, but if you are scrolling through, let's say you're, you're a coach on social media and you're scrolling through 50 other coaches creating 50 courses, um, freebies, lead generations, doing all these different things. If you're scrolling through 50 different pieces of content from 50 different coaches, you suddenly feel as one person that you are behind and need to do 50 different things. Totally. And it paralyzes us because A, we can't do 50 things at once. That's fucking impossible. And B, it, it just conditions that belief of, I'm behind. I'm not enough. I need to work harder. Um, oh my God, I'm sitting here staring at my phone. My, I'm such a lazy piece of shit. Like I need to work harder. Like, and it's just, it, ugh, it just drives me so insane. And I say this as someone who has totally fallen for that mindset. Like, you know, I've, I've totally fallen into that pattern, but just to, to be aware of those situations. And I always like to tell my clients who are falling into that, stop, put social media away and reground yourself to reality. Because social media, like you said, it's a highlight reel. And then maybe that's like going on a walk outside and like staring at the trees. Maybe that's listening to um, a, like maybe it's watching a video of a moment that you've loved in your life. Like it's just regrounding yourself to what your life is and what all you have. That's the big kicker there. Because when we're looking through social media and seeing 50 different pieces of content, we're looking at all the things we're lacking right now. It's so true. I mean, it might be my old age. I just turned 35 last week. Not old. But in my mid-30s, I don't even like my phone anymore because it interferes with my day. Like sometimes I want to take it and chuck it out the window because if I open, like I have all notifications off. But if I go into an app and I realize I have some kind of accountability I like lose my mind because I'm like, I have so many other things that are my priority right now. Why did I even go in here? So then I'm behind on 350 text messages. I'm behind on 100 emails. I have these memes and reels I'm supposed to watch that people send me. And then I'm supposed to comment back on that. And then I have to, you know, it's like so much accountability in this phone that sometimes I'm like, I can't do it today. I don't want to check a text message. I don't want to log into Instagram. I don't want to check my email. I want five minutes to myself for peace and quiet. And I know if I go into this machine here, it's going to change my mood. And I don't know what it is lately. I just don't feel good about myself the more I use my phone. I've even started to unfollow people because I don't like seeing what they're doing because it triggered something in me like an an envy or a jealousy and I don't like myself after I see what they're doing. So it's like having this moment of like this whole device. I want to go back to having a phone on the wall where people (laughs) have to call me or write me a letter to find me. I need a break from it, I think. I'm going to be all about the phone break. I, the whole thing, I want to chuck it out the window. I saw someone just recently, first of all, is everyone taking notes? Because everything you just said was like fire after fire after fire. It was so good. I feel like I'm getting it out. No, it's my good. This session. is good. When, like you're so not alone here. And like I literally, I was talking to my coach, our coach, and I literally said to her, I was like, I don't like social media. I don't like how much time I'm supposed to, heavy air quotes, spend on this app in order to be relevant in business. This was a few years ago, but she was like, okay, you don't like it. You can either stop doing it or hire it out to someone. I chose the latter. I hired it out to someone. Someone else does my social media for me. I create all the content. I respond to all the, 
DMs and stuff in my own time underline, but she does all the, the fluff stuff for me. And I'm, she's amazing. I love her. She's great. But I can't stay sane without my team. Like I have a team of two people who do my podcast and my social media for me, because if I didn't have that, I would not be able to do what I do every single week. But we sometimes look at people and we see, oh my God, how do they do it all? Oh my goodness, they're doing it all. I'm not doing it all. Man, I need to work harder. Man, I'm not good enough. And it's like, you don't see the back end of all that goes into it. <sighs> my blood pressure is rising. <laughs> Me too. And you know what? We can relate this back to our topic of our perfectionist because think of a perfectionist looking at all of this. It's so triggering and it feeds that I need to overachieve. I need to people please. I need to be perfect. I need to do all of these things to be worthy. So yeah. Yeah. This was awesome. I wish we could talk forever. I have so much more to get off my chest, but I will schedule that with you. Another time. <laughs> Clearly this is getting something out of me I love um, it. that I needed to get out. So relatable. So Nicole, what services are you currently offering? Tell us about your programs and how can people find you? Tell us all of it. So I offer two different types of services. I do my one-to-one coaching, which currently as of right now recording this, my one-to-one coaching program is booked out. I do have a wait list if people want to get on that. And it is first come, first serve off the wait list for getting into my program. For my other offer though, I do have a course. It is called Goal Smasher. I kind of teased it a little bit earlier, but it's basically goal setting and achieving 101 for perfectionists. And I break it down into three different modules with a pre-work as well. And we talk all about clarifying your goal, creating an overwhelm and burnout free pattern, or excuse me, a plan to go after it. And also learning the secret behind motivation, because a lot of people get stuck in this, like, oh, if I wait to feel motivated, like I'll have to, you know, or excuse me, uh, if I don't feel motivated, then I have to wait till tomorrow when I do feel motivated, but then I'm going to beat myself up the whole night for not doing anything about it and just watching Netflix or whatever. And this is totally combated to that because motivation, like any other emotion we feel, there's a strategy to get to it. And everyone's strategy looks a little bit different but I walk you through an exercise to really tap into your version of motivation. So that you can find on my website. If you just go to lifecoachbaker.com forward slash goal smasher, it's all on there. And then, like I said, I have that free quiz as well. If you want to learn what type of perfectionist you are. That is amazing. I will definitely include your website in the show notes so people can head over there and click that and look up all of that. This was awesome. I've learned so much from you. I know my listeners will too. I am just so grateful for you to come on and talk with me today. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited to talk to you on my podcast on Wednesday. If you want to check it out, it's Life Coach Baker. And it's available anywhere you listen to podcasts. But you'll see a friendly face on there in a few weeks, sweet Justine. Totally. I'm looking forward to this collaboration. We are in such alignment with each other. Oh, my God. Truly. Thank you for coming, Nicole. Thank you. Wow. I really enjoyed talking with Nicole today. I got all fired up. I feel like she and I could have a whole other episode about what self-care truly is for us. But I could talk to her for hours. I feel like she gave such great examples of how perfectionism shows up in each and every one of us. So if you found this episode to be helpful, you may also want to go to listen to episode number 15 called How to Overcome Perfectionism. 
Okay, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Please don't forget to rate or review my podcast so I can get this content out into the world and support more people on their mental health journeys. I hope you enjoyed listening to the information shared during this episode. Please consider subscribing so you can stay updated when new episodes are released. And don't forget to check out the podcast show notes to find any resources that were mentioned in today's conversation. Thank you for listening and enjoy all the moments your day has to offer you.